Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay, the official Rolex 24 preview. I am joined by my pal George Butts, our sports car expert. George, how are you in sunny Florida? I'm doing well, my friend. Thanks for having me on. And I, I caution the listeners to uh, both italicize and put quotes around experts, but uh, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time yeah. to talk. Yeah, man. So let's see here real quick for those. Uh, first off, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Ch- uh, Trevor McClure yesterday. Second off, stay tuned to our social media. Probably the day this episode comes out, I'll be announcing live streams and fan chats and whatnot. We're all going to watch this at home like most of us are. We might as well have some fun with it. The race starts at 3.40 Saturday afternoon and bounces between NBC and NBCSN until Sunday at 3.40 p.m. Eastern time. So some kind of high-level things here. 49 entries, five classes with the addition of the LMP3 category. Obviously, 49 is up by 14 or 15 versus last year, and it was almost 50, but we lost an entry uh, last minute. So we will go down to, real quick, before we actually get to the race preview, the roar before the 24, which is usually what, George, like the first week of January or second week of January? Yeah, usually the second weekend, just depending on the calendar. There's usually, a, would say, about a two-week gap between roar and the 24 proper due to logistics and everything going on with this uh, pandemic we're living in and this uh <laughs> quote-unquote new normal that we're living in uh, they decided to move it a week closer just to make it a lot easier on the teams and especially those who have to deal with travel visa um, you know entry into the U.S. and things along those lines so yeah quick turnaround from the roar to the race um, from what I've seen on the social medias a lot of teams are kind of a proponent of that especially those that are not based in Florida there's a handful that are but uh, especially teams that are based across the country or internationally, it, it definitely makes it easier for them. Yeah, very well said there. So most of practice and testing last week was relatively interesting. It was nice that there was some rain, there was some sun, so teams got kind of a a full gamut of, okay, this is what we can expect, some, some minor crashes, the right Porsche car in the GTT class had the biggest issue, obviously, had to replace the entire chassis. George, remind me again whose team they bought the chassis from that didn't end up making the Rolex due to a COVID issue. Yeah, sure. There's uh, actually quite a bit to unpack there. Um, number of articles on it that uh, I'll leave to the, the better writers and, and speakers. But... Uh, yeah, Black Swan, um, Pappas, kind of runs that operation, had raced in the 24 hours of Dubai two weeks ago at this point, or it'll be two weeks um, yeah. uh, before the Rolex. And half that crew and drivers caught COVID from that, as did a uh, another driver in a different class that was scheduled to run in the Rolex and uh, is replaced now for that. So they had to withdraw that entry. Now, it gets interesting 
because <laughs> last year uh, Black Swan had a, a crash right before the 24 hour and had to buy Wright's um, spare Porsche chassis. So it's, it's kind of a swap in a, in a weird way like that. Uh, or sometimes things line up in that way and kind of a weird synchronicity. So, um, you know, there's been some good articles written on that and in terms of the relationship between the, the Porsche customer teams. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was unfortunate what happened um, with the off that they had. But, you know, I guess it's a good thing that there is a, uh, another chassis laying around there ready to use. Yeah, glad they were able to kind of get that worked out. And then what comes to a surprise to nobody, Cadillac, again, was very fast <laughs> up front in the DPI field. They've won, I think, like every Rolex since the DPI class came into fruition a few years ago. So real quick, I will run through the results here. And then, George, if you want to just give me any input, because I missed most of Sunday's qualifying race and all of Saturday's qualifying to the qualifying race. So <laughs> this year there was a 100 minute quote unquote race to set the grid. And there are now qualifying points for the race. Uh, there was a lot of chaos, a lot of rain missed throughout the entire time. So just recapping the winners the DPI winner was the 31 Action Express. Names you'll recognize there. All of them, Chase Elliott, Mike Conway, Felipe Nazar, and Pipo Durrani. The LMP2 was the 52 car, so I'm scrolling down my list here. Probably nobody super recognizable there. Maybe Ben Keating for those who follow him so closely. LMP3, the category of danger i think is what we're going to nickname it this year the six car one <laughs> the six car is nobody we would recognize so hey 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 <laughs> I, i'm not saying nobody you would recognize i'm saying nobody the average fan might recognize but there are lots of lots of lmp3 names that are very notable that we'll we'll discuss later on here uh, GTLM, the Corvette one, number four, Tommy Milner, Alexander Sims, and Nick Tandy. And then the 96 BMW one. Who's in the 96 BMW here? Let's see. Uh, some guy named Colton Herta. I heard he's going to be a good driver. Other than that, I've never heard of him before. So, George. <laughs> well, uh, what the hell happened? Yeah, you're, uh, well, your sporty car fans might take some numbers with that. Uh, you got some well-known drivers in some of those rides um yeah, some under the radar guys as well but in that 52 for example nico lapierre is a well-known prototype guy and uh you only have the winningest driver in emso in the 96 with uh, bill hoverland but uh Oops. yeah it's man there's there's a lot of back and forth publicly and under the table about this uh qualifying quote-unquote race and about the roar as, uh, as a whole. You know, there's always hints and allegations of sandbagging, but this year uh, seemed to be you know, quite a bit of loud, <laughs> a loud noise being, uh, being lobbied at certain teams, um, again, publicly and under the table. <laughs> I said, was the loud noise somebody named Felipe? 
Uh, no, but uh, actually, was it Albuquerque that uh, said that? No, it was Pippo Durrani that I think said. I the, thought it was uh, Nonetheless, it was somebody <laughs> in that car. Yeah, but to be fair, yeah, I was one of the, the Action Express guys there. To be fair, considering how fast and uh, record-breaking Mazda was last year, it, it's odd when... You know, all of a sudden, everybody's purple in sector one, sector two, then, you know, a specific corner or two, guys just kind of lift. So, <laughs> IMSA's uh, done a, a lot to put in data loggers to try to prevent guys from sandbagging, but it, it's an art form like anything else. Um, between now and the race, um, as of the recording, nothing's been, been, been announced in terms of BOP adjustments, but that's always a possibility. So you, you kind of want to, it's, it's give and take. You, you don't want to full or show your full hand, but you don't want to blatantly sandbag as well. So you can get penalized for that. Um, in terms of the quote unquote race, kind of risk reward. What's, what's the point of qualifying on pole for a 24 hour race? You know, the whole thing goes Fine. green and it stays on strategy. Yeah. Maybe something, but in, in reality, there's, there's not a lot of point to it. You know, a couple cars didn't start in general and a couple guys parked during the race. Um, you know, a handful of those had issues to be fair, but I think it was the performance tech team that just pulled it in because it was wet at the beginning and it was just pure chaos. And, you know, you only have a week now between the roar and the 24 hour you've been massaging this car all, you know, short off season this year, but all off season. What's the point of tearing up a bunch of equipment? Yeah, I agree there. It was very, I unfortunately was just not particularly feeling super great on Sunday. So slept through most of the race and just couldn't, couldn't catch up for it. And obviously Saturday we were recording something else for Pit Lane Parlay. So we'll move down there real quick. I kind of went over the five classes, so I think we can we can skip a quick most of this here. But there is a new class that I do want to bring up. So we're going to jump down, George, to the LMP3 class description. So this is a new IMSA class this year. There are, so let me pull up my list here, seven LMP3 cars right now. So let's dive in a little bit deeper. What... This might be a basic question, but I'm going to phrase it this way for those listening. The difference between LMP2 and LMP3 is and go. <laughs> well, um, you could argue LMP3 is kind of baby LMP2. Um, I'm sure some people don't want it described that way, but uh, you know, P3 has been around for a while. Um, and in IMSA, it replaced the old open-top Mazdas that were running Prototype Challenge. But they've advanced it up to the primary WeatherTech series this year instead of just being a feeder series, where it you know, globally is kind of the introduction to either gentleman drivers or young drivers that are getting into the prototype side of sports car racing uh, rather than the you know, GT side of things. Um, and in that description of, as I said, baby P2s, you know, you get less power, um, they're obviously slower cars, but uh, just like P2s, it's a global platform. 
Um, globally, you've got four approved constructors, but there's only two running in EMSA right now. You have a spec engine. In theory, everything is, is more or less equivalent across the constructors. Um, you know, you do run into some BOP there, but it's easier to BOP a, a prototype class that is, um, you know, approved spec across a very limited number of manufacturers than it is like the GT class, for example, where you got front engine versus mid engine, et cetera, where you got a spec engine. You don't really have to worry about anything more than just the aerodynamic aspects. Um, beyond that, it is a pro-am class like P2 is with a asterisk on that where it's more complicated, where they're factoring in age for the driver ratings. Um, <laughs> a great example of that that has a lot of people kind of kind of uh, scratching their heads or screaming into the void is Oliver Askew, uh, Indy Lights champion, um, you know, IndyCar full-time driver last year. Hopefully sees a couple outings this year, fingers crossed. Yeah, he is qualified as a silver because he's under 30 for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> so you get a little bit more of uh, gain, gamesmanship in terms of, you know, super silvers or, you know, brilliant bronzes, however you want to describe it. But uh, you <laughs> question that. The number seven car who has Ryan Norman, you know, Indy Lights veteran and Gabby Chavez who ran a couple years in IndyCar, but also has Charles Finelli. And for those who don't know Finelli, he's been kind of the gentleman driver in Indy Pro 2000 and the road to Indy for, oh man, the last four or five years or so. Super awesome guy. But what, and I, I, I should have looked at this beforehand. What is he classified as like a... Is he, he's, he can't be a silver, is he? No, he's a bronze. Okay. Okay. So he's like the, is he the more the amateur side of this pro-am? Correct. Okay. Yeah, where Norman is a silver, but he's under 30. So he gets kind of a pass on that one. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Chavez is a gold. So yeah, it's driver rankings or ratings are, I think we did an entire podcast on that in BOP once, uh, yes. I think last year. <laughs> Just, it's complicated. Uh, don't uh, don't waste a brain cell trying to figure it out. <laughs> it's just one of those things at this point, like we did it once. If you want to go back and listen to it, listen about a, a year and a week ago, I did a whole BOP thing with Ryan Eversley. You and I did something on driver ratings. Just go back and listen to it. If you don't really follow it, just enjoy the lovely 24 hours of racing that we have coming up from there or coming up, uh, well, I guess in a couple of days from now. So <laughs> let's call this every time I think of this, I think of like a, like a football or a hockey game when they do the keys to the game and they're sponsored by some really terrible sponsor. But in our case, they're sponsored by our friends at fanatics. Go to podgo.co slash fanatics for 25% off your order. This is the last week to get that sponsorship deal with our pals at fanatics. So George, our uh, thank you to our friends at fanatics. What are the keys to a 24 hour race other than I'm going to, I'm going to stop you here other than the obvious of racing for 24 hours. Well, that kind of ties into the first key that uh, I wrote down here, which is survive. 
you know, it's a 24 hour race. Um, you know, the adage goes, you can't win a race in turn one, but you can sure lose it. Um, same thing goes for pretty much, you know, the first 23 hours of this event, um, stay out of trouble. But if you do end up in a, you know, a, an incident that doesn't total your, total your car or getting some argy bargy and get a penalty, do your best to make sure it's early, um, preferably before nightfall, because you can, you can recover with full course cautions at Daytona. Um, you know, they're generous with wave arounds. You just got to catch them the right way. And that ties into another key, which is luck. Um, you know, you got to make your strategy work. Uh, if you're on the primary strategy and catch a yellow the wrong way, well, you're, you're kind of SOL and vice versa of your off strategy and, and get the right yellow. Hey, guess what? You might be leading it with uh, one lap to go and just praying to God or whoever you believe in that uh, you got enough fuel to get around, but survival it's uh, staying out of trouble, you know, damage compounds when it's not repaired, be it just a tiny hole in the floor of your car that can cost you a couple tenths. And if you go, you know, X number of laps times X tenths, that adds up over the course of the race. Obviously, avoid any sort of unforced error. If you have your fourth driver in and he loops it at 4 a.m., that's not doing anybody any good. And, you know, with that, there's changing conditions throughout the race. Sunsets, temperature goes down, handling characteristics change. You know, early in the morning when it's really humid, you have different aerodynamic characteristics of the car. So you got to stay apprised of that. Another one of those in terms of survival is it's a team effort. You got to listen to those spotters. Um, you know, with five classes this year, all of them have very different braking characteristics and cor cornering characteristics. They're, uh, you know, very different in terms of top end speed. So if you're going into the bus stop at 4 a.m., to use 4 a.m. again, you really got to listen to that spotter because he's going to tell you who's coming up behind you. You know, everybody's flashing their lights. You got to see a headlight behind you. You can't tell who's making a dive bomb effort in and who's, you know, going to have discretion, which is the better part of valor, uh, <laughs> aside from the past, the last maybe 90 minutes of the race. Um, you got to listen to those guys and, uh, you know, make those risk versus reward kind of uh, decisions. And a lot of patience and discretion, which is the next point that I have. The equation changes as the clock ticks down. But whether you're on offense or defense, you got to keep your wits about you, keep your head on a swivel, and, you know, frankly, hold your line. Uh, if you're going to make a move, make it early, make it stick. Uh, and again, in hour one, there's no need to dive bomb somebody late into a break zone and, you know, cost multiple people their races, including yourself. On defense, you know, it's not uh, doing yourself any favor to get a penalty for blocking. And along with that, uh, one that doesn't really get talked about aside from within the sporty car scene is uh, for these long enduros. It's kind of knowing who's in the car, especially in a multi-class and, you know, split between all pro lineups and pro-am lineups. Some of these amateurs, and there's a lot of good amateur drivers in here, but you haven't been racing with them for years. So you haven't seen them run in anything other than say like MX five or, you know, lemons or local events like that. If you're racing, for example, if you're Scott Dixon in the car for Ganassi and uh, you know, Juan Montoya is in the car for Shank, 
you know how Montoya is going to race. So, you know, there's a certain respect there. You, you know, he's got the skill, but the, the wits to make good decisions. If you got some, yeah, <laughs> exactly. If you got a random bronze in the car and you've never heard of him before, um, you got to give that guy a little bit more room. Uh, it's, it's a wild card kind of a thing. Um, and one thing that's been a huge topic of discussion in terms of the multi-class aspect is the overlap between certain classes. If you look at the timesheets overall, there's a healthy overlap between P3 and GTLM. That kind of becomes a problem on restarts and late in the race when guys are really going for position because their lap times are almost the same. But like I said, they have wildly different quartering characteristics and handling characteristics. Those GT cars can go much deeper you know, in certain parts of the track where the P2 cars can kind of, or P3 rather, can kind of stick it and rely on the arrow. So you, man, you got you to gotta keep your head on a swivel. And finally, you got to just be there or thereabouts with 90 minutes left in the race. Survive up to that point. Make those smart risk versus reward decisions. You know, listen to your spotters, et cetera. Keep, uh, keep apprised of the traffic. But 90 minutes to go, all hell breaks loose. You know, you, you might get lucky and get a late one or two um, what they call long yellows. They do short yellows and they do a longer yellow. It's kind of a joke. IMSA cautions take forever. But towards the tail end of the race, they try to limit those unless there's a massive incident where the track's blocked or there's a barrier repair. So they try to be quick with those yellows so you might not get that wave around. So ideally, you want to be on the lead lap. You want to be committed to your strategy, be it on or off, and just hope for the best. Um, a good example of this was, I want to say 2016, Magnus rolled the dice on a fuel strategy and I was listening to um, their, their pit wall and there's a lot of discussion about do we bail on this and, and pit for fuel or do we stick it out well they, they stuck it out and ended up with some uh, shiny new watches on their wrists so you got to commit to that strategy one way or the other you made that bed you got to sleep in it and like I said earlier there's that risk versus reward equation and that sure as heck changes in that last bit of the race there's no such thing as love between the classes. Nobody's giving each other room. You, uh, you got to be aware of that. Um, you got to be, uh, again, head on a swivel. And patience is just out the door and guys are going for it. Yeah, I think this is going to be one of the more interesting Rolex 24s, especially in that second to last section when you were mentioning the LMP3 versus the GTLM. For those who missed it, our pal Trevor McCuller said yesterday the winning LMP3 car will not actually finish the race. So <laughs> <laughs> I got a kick out of that one, and I am going to be monitoring that closely. We've come to what typically is my favorite thing to do in any racing that we talk about is predictions and what to watch. But after my terrible 2020 predictions, I don't know how I feel about this one anymore. So what we're <laughs> going to do here is we're going to go through a winner for each class, maybe another car each class, and then I'll mention some drivers to check out along the way. So I'm going to take DPI first here since I see your answers. I'm going to go with the winner. Man, let's see here. It's pretty stacked this year for, for a it's lot of really the classes. It's really hard to pick. I mean, 
we have a Scott Dixon in in one car. We have Bourdais in another car. Alex Rossi and Elio in a car. Obviously, the Action Express cars have Chase Elliott, and the other one has Jimmy Johnson and Kamui Kobayashi and Simon Pagano. Mazda has Oliver Jarvis and Harry Tinknell and Bomarito. And then the Shank car has Cameron, Olivier Pla, Montoya, and AJ Allman. How do you how do you pick this class? So I'm just gonna take a <laughs> shot in the dark here. Let's go with a slight, I don't know if this is really an upset, but since Cadillac has done so strong here, I am also gonna pick a Cadillac. I'm gonna say the JDC Miller, driven by Bourdais, Loic Duval. And Tristan Vautier is going to be the winner. Another one to watch as well. I'm going to be really lame here and say just watch all of them. They'll obviously be the fastest car. <laughs> There's so much talent in in all seven of these cars. It's kind of hard not to pick. But obviously pay attention to the Meyer Shank one since we have our partnership with them this year. And I'll be doing some extra updates on where they are on track throughout the 24 hours or however much of those 24 hours I'm awake. Yeah, it's, it's, man, it's hard. And no, one thing that, uh, will stand out to most fans of this podcast is, um, the either IndyCar guys or handful of NASCAR guys that are running in this, this year, um, always seems to be a highlight of these endurance races, who the endurance drivers are, but man, even some of these, uh, like number four drivers for some of these teams are just sporty car superstars. Um, with that, my pick is going to be the 48 Ally Action Express uh, Cadillac. With the uh, all the attention on that's going to Jimmy Johnson, and frankly, he's the weakest link on link on that car. Um, that being said, he does have some um, Rolex experience in the past, and uh, my dad will kick me on that because we're both. Huge Elliott fan, so you know, definitely cheering for Chase in the 31 uh, team car there, which also has a stellar lineup. But man, for a quote-unquote one-off effort, you know, like I said, Jimmy Johnson's a weak, uh, weak link on that because you got Kobayashi, you got Pagano, and you have a, a superstar in Rockefeller as well. So with that, uh, that platform being established as it is and being run by a team that's run that uh, machinery for several years i think that's going to be my pick to win um i think the ones to watch are going to be the acuras they uh Wayne taylor racing and uh, meyer shank switched over this year um when taylor from running the cadillacs and uh, meyer shank from running the acura gtds respectively they got that equipment they, they picked it up right after the end of sebring this year or last year rather um, and fairly, I don't want to say used condition, but, uh, well-loved condition, we'll say, uh, not knocking Penske on this one that previously ran the program, but they didn't really hand over anything in terms of setups or, um, you know, IP. So they're kind of starting from scratch there. So those are, they got good lineups. They've got quality teams running them. The question is, are they going to be able to get everything out of the car? this quickly uh, after such a short off season with limited testing. I don't know. That's the answer to that. But uh, between those two Acuras, uh, man, my eyes kind of going towards Shank. It just, uh, that lineup is a great lineup. You got some great drivers in there and some great uh, Enduro drivers and big fan of both teams. 
hope they both do well, but uh, Shank would be my one to watch of those two. But like I said, number 48, that's my prediction as winner. Awesome. We're going to jump down to LMP2. So I am not going to steal your answers here. So I'm going to go with my team to watch first before my winning team. Team to watch, I think, would be the other Dragon Speed car that you're not going to mention, the 82. <laughs> Devlin DeFrancesco, up-and-coming Rhodes Indy driver, and all three other drivers whose names look super familiar that I think have been around the sports <laughs> car world for a while, but I can't... They have, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I know Lux's name looks super familiar. So all three of the other guys have extensive sports car experience. DeFlancesco had a very good year in Pro 2000, raced in Europe before that and was doing very well. So I think that could be a good one to watch, especially under Dragon Speed. My winning car, oh boy. Sports stars, they're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see, they've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flojo. Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star, a new series from Crowd Network. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Let's go with Era Motorsports, the 18 car in their first outing last year. I think they finished P2 or P3. Kyle Tilly is a super awesome dude. Ryan Delzeal is a great driver. The other two drivers don't really ring a bell to me, but they have cool names. So that sounds like a good car to me. I know that's like really expert analysis there. So I'm going to turn it over to you. <laughs> yeah, uh, might get some hate mail from that one too, because I used to say it that it's uh, Ryan Dial, um, super nice dude. Uh, um, sorry, Ryan. Very Scottish, also a Florida resident. But uh, yeah, no, I razzle dazzle. That's uh, what people will call him just because I couldn't pronounce his last name, <laughs> including me. Till uh, I think uh, K-Brew corrected me <laughs> in person once. Uh, she overheard me using his name. He's like, no, that's not how you say it. Um, yeah, that's uh, a... <laughs> no, that's They got a good lineup in that car. Uh, Merriman's been around for a while, too. Honestly, P3 might be the hardest. You have a bunch of European teams coming in this year. That class was... Uh, uh, did I say P3? My bad, yeah. yeah. P3 is tough to predict, too, just because I don't know how many are going to finish. We'll get on that later, but uh, <laughs> P2, uh, the, the number last year was super low, and this year it's pretty darn high, so uh, you have a lot of quality WEC teams coming over, um, you know, racing team uh, Netherland, for example, um, high class is coming over as well, and they got uh, Robert Kubica as one of their Enduro drivers. Really hard to pick, 
Um, I got to go with the other Dragon Speed as my winner, the 81 car. And they got jack of all trades and uh, you know, racing IndyCar driver, been in sporty cars forever, Ben Hanley. It's been associated with Elton Julian for, you know, since that program started, seemingly. They also got uh, Garrett Grist, former uh, Road to Indy driver, been running around in IMSA for a bit. And, uh, you know, Rob Hodes is nothing to sneeze at, but kind of the highlight for me on that entry is Renus VK, kind of standout rookie last year in IndyCar, uh, young Dutch driver. I think this is his first P2 outing, Yeah. though he might have run some stuff in Europe growing up, but I, I, I could be wrong on that. Um, but that's just a stellar lineup. But like I was saying, there's a lot of really strong P2 teams. Um, another just driver to highlight is uh, in the 51, Rick Ware, Eurasia kind of combination. NASCAR driver Austin Dillon's jumping in there, as well as uh, NASCAR driver Cody Ware. So that's going to be an interesting one to, to, to see how fast they get up to speed. Cody's been running uh, Asian Le Mans series for, yeah. I think, one season, and I think he won the the program title in that class. But yeah, a lot of talent. It's going to be interesting to see the. So of the class, there's ten entries. Eight of them, or are the uh, Orica, the new Orica O7s, um, and you have a single Delara, which was really fast in the straight line. They're they're better in the low drag settings, and you have one Liger in there as well. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see who prevails in that class, but those are all proven platforms. Unlike our next class, the, the P3s, which we've kind of talked about and maligned a little bit, but it is very noteworthy to say they've never really run a 24-hour race as a category before. Usually they're run as a support series, um, like they've been running prototype challenge in, in, in IMSA and Road to Le Mans and WEC but they haven't really run this hard or this long. Are they going to last? We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. And that's the question a lot of people are asking. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, I don't know if concerning is the right word, but eye-opening when you, when you just do a quick Google search for the word LMP3 and it says entry-level prototype intended for in introducing young drivers and new teams to endurance racing before they progress higher, blah, 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 blah. So <laughs> you kind of read that and you're like, wait, the Rolex 24 isn't like, like an introduction to IMSA. It's like the real deal. So very fair point. One thing before I make my predictions, I'm going to call the LMP2 class the class of drivers whose names I typically cannot pronounce. <laughs> outside of win autosport who i i can pronounce all four of the drivers names that might be the only team where all four drivers i'm like oh yeah i definitely am i'm positive of, of that one and otherwise i don't know hey, steven thomas is a hard name to pronounce <laughs> listen don't make fun of me that's not fair but also not like entirely inaccurate so ellen no, i'm avoiding uh i'm avoiding pronouncing any of the drivers on the uh, 29 <laughs> Dutch team, uh, oh, aside yeah. from no uh, former F1 driver Vandegata. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah no, no, no chance there. So, we've been talking about it. It's time to predict it. LMP3. So, I will just kind of mention some names for those since we've kind of 
made fun of the class for the last few minutes here. Ryan Norman, Charles Finelli, Gabby Chavez are in the number seven, 47 motorsports car. Let's see who else will people notice. In the 33 car, Jao Bar- Barbosa, who has been in IMSA for quite a while, if I'm not mistaken, has won in D- DPI or has won in another class at some point or another. Currently from DP and DPI. Um, he's been around forever. He, I'm pretty sure um, he was on the cart side of the equation back in the day um, for, for the IndyCar fans as well. So he's been around forever. He's an old shoe. Uh, changing from top level machinery to P3 this year. He's kind of the lead driver on that program. So then we jump down to the 38 car, which has Rasmus Lind, who raced in Indy Pro 2000 two years ago, will be or was supposed to be in Indy Lights last year. Obviously, 2020 canceled that. Don't know if he has a 2021 ride yet, otherwise. So he's a youngster. And then Ayrton Ori, who's raced in, he did one race in USF 2000 and 2020, if I'm not mistaken. I think he might have done like ARCA 2 or something. Uh, if I'm if I'm not totally offbeat here, he's like 16 or 17. If, very young. Um, core Autosport, Colin Braun, we talked to him last year. Probably the entry that most IndyCar fans listen to the show will recognize the 74 Riley Motorsport Askew, like George mentioned, Spencer Piggott, and I think that's it. So with that being said, I'm going to throw a dart, metaphorical dart, at <laughs> metaphorical wall, and go with... First off, I'm going to say we should watch every car in this class because it could be totally wild. It could be definitely, as Jess would say, a hot mess express, hot mess disaster. My God, I get that wrong. Every <laughs> time. I'm I'm going to go with, I'm going to say that Rasmus Lind and Performance Tech Motorsports pulls out a win, even though it looks like they're the youngest team on in, in the class. Yeah, it's a decent prediction. They're kind of... Uh... I don't want to say um, taking advantage of <laughs> the under 30 rule, but you know, three of the four drivers in that entry are under 30. So they're kind of the young kid car with a lot of talent. I mean, Cameron Castles has been around forever. He's the only guy over 30 in that, uh, that entry, but uh, he, he's got a lot of experience and in, uh, in IMSA and prototypes. But I mean, it's it's tough to predict this class. There's a lot of really good drivers, and there's some unknown guys as well, or guys that are haven't raced multi-class like this. It's one thing being in a single-class uh, feeder series uh, or support series, depending on how you want to uh, you know phrase that. Um, but it's something different, you know. I keep bringing up 4 a.m. going to the bus stop, multi-class. It can be chaotic. Uh, man, there's some really good entries. A lot of teams moving up from the uh, Prototype Challenge Series. A uh, couple of teams that are European, like Molnar. Uh, Cox is a really nice dude, so it's going to be interesting to see what he does in that number six. But uh, it's got to be between the 54 core car or the 74 for me. Uh, it's awesome seeing core back in EMSA, especially uh, John Bennett. Super nice dude. Uh, of course, Colin Brown and uh, Matt Murray is a good driver as well. 
But uh, I got to give the edge to the 47. Riley runs a really good program. Bear Robinson's been running an IMSA for a bit as their silver, and so is Scott Andrews. Then you got Spencer Piggott and Oliver Askew. Man, that's uh, it's hard to that's hard to beat. Even if you got guys like in the the other Riley car, you got uh, Drone Bleakemullen as one of their standouts, and some other really good drivers there as well. But uh, man, that star power in that 74. That's uh, that's my prediction. I like it. So we'll jump down to GTLM. I actually remember picking one of the Corvettes to win last year. And I think one of the Corvettes did really well and one did not. I don't remember which one was which, though, to be totally honest with you. So, again, sticking with what I went with last year, I'm going to say one of the Corvettes is going to win. And obviously, I think the other car or cars to watch, and you kind of alluded to this as well, is the the BMWs. So BMW are both Ray Hall cars. They're the ones that are in every meme of the massive BMW car <laughs> on track that you'll see all weekend. So I'll make that one quick and turn it over to you. Yeah, I'll keep it short in here too. Um, one kind of bit of news going into the season is the continual shrinkage um, of this class. Uh, both the, the the Porsche team kind of withdrew, the factory Porsche team that is. So down those two cars, that being said, WeatherTech has moved up uh, in conjunction with uh, Proton to buy and run one of those old factory Porsche cars. I say old, I think they were you know, brand new for 2019, if I'm not mistaken. So it's... Uh, you know, on level of everything else. Um, yeah, it's, and that being said as well, um, Rahel Letterman Lanigan's only running the Enduros and the BMW. So, and they're the Reese cars only running the Rolex as far as I know. So that might be a three car class. So there's talk of convergence between GTLM and GTD. Nothing's really been announced on that yet. So that's, that's kind of something just to you know, stick a pen and keep an eye on. All these are proven at this point. The Corvettes were new last year and untested. Um, they they did have some issues during the 12 hour with suspension, but uh, knowing that program, they would have fixed it. And Daytona is a heck of a lot smoother than Sebring is. Um, there's a reason European teams used to come over to Sebring and and run the 12 hours because if you can survive 12 hours at Sebring, you can survive 24 hours pretty much anywhere else. Ah, man, I got to go with the, let's pick the three car, the, the Corvette, uh, Antonio Garcia, my boy, Jordan Taylor, and you get uh, Nikki Katzberg in there. Um, I guess another quick note is Corvette has kind of shooken up their driver lineup a little bit. Um, and they, uh, they said for farewell to Jan Magnuson as well as Ollie Gavin. So some, uh, then that's mostly impacting the four car. Yeah, I think Alex Sims was in Formula E last year. He still might be this year, not a hundred percent sure. Yeah, and he used to run with BMW as well. But Nick Tandy from the the Porsche program has moved over to the four car. But my uh, fix a three. <laughs> I'll take it. We got one more class to go through here. I'll rattle off some of the drivers to pay attention to. The number one Paul Miller Motorsports car. If you'll remember, I think it was right after the race last year, I talked to Brian Sellers, Corey mm-hmm. Lewis, Madison Snow. That car's pretty stout. 
Let's see here. Yeah, Carlarelli is not bad either. Is uh, the uh, the Lambo factory guy that they've stuck in there. The Path Motorsports nine car Robichon is a stud. Lawrence Van Thor is very good. The other two, I'm not super familiar with. Yeah, uh, Kern and Matty Campbell have been around for a bit. They're they're pretty good drivers. The, pretty good. Yeah, they're the, pretty great. Aim <laughs> Vassar Sullivan cars will know probably about 98 percent of the lineup here. Nope, 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 nope. Try that team name again, buddy. <laughs> Vassar Sullivan. It's all the same. Vassar Sullivan. Stop changing your team name on me. Yeah, well, they're not with AIM anymore, so i got to correct you there. <laughs> Frankie Mantecalvo. Zach Veach, obviously, is the big name on uh, this team. Robert McGinnis, who will be in Indy Lights this year. And Townsend Bell is back with Lexus again. Their 14 car has Jack Hawksworth again. Oliver Gavin, who moved over from that Corvette that you were just talking about. Aaron Tielitz again. And Kyle Kirkwood who will also be in Indy Lights this year. Let's see here, scrolling down, scrolling down, lots of IMSA names that I know that... <laughs> uh, let's go to 28, Allegra Motorsports has Daniel Morad, who's one of the nicest people on the planet. Oh, he's the best. And the 42 NTE Sport, J.R. Hildebrand makes his, I think it's his IMSA debut, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's his Rolex debut. Okay, Rolex I, I debut. Don't remember which track he's been to. It's one of the when they used to run, you know, the intermediate Robles like Kansas. Um, I'm pretty sure he ran a single, maybe one or two races in the Grand Am days. But yeah, it's his uh, Rolex debut. You'd be correct. He ran Sebring and Long Beach in 2010. Yeah, for some reason I thought it was a Roble, so my bad. Yeah, it's okay. I just honestly, I'm, I'm, yeah, I pulled it up last minute, and then 2018 he did the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. Anyway, back to the list here. So where were we? The 44, Andy Lally, Spencer Pompelli, Mario Fonbacher. Let's see here. Named. I'm now. I'm looking for names. Uh, the 63, Scuderia Corsa, the Ferrari. I think this is the car that. If I'm not mistaken, Trevor McClure, who we interviewed yesterday, is spotting for Ed Jones and Ryan Briscoe are the names that stick out there. Scrolling down more, Catherine Legg and Christina Nielsen are in the team Hardpoint, Porsche 911-88, Colton Hurd is in the 96 Turner Motorsport BMW, and in the interest of time, I will pick my car to watch i really am very interested to see how kyle kirkwood aaron tealis jack hawksworth jack hawksworth and oliver gavin do i think the the lexus cars could be really really good if obviously if things go their way and then my winner hmm i'm having trouble picking my winner here but because I'm going to go with the Paul Miller Lamborghini, car number one. Yeah, solid pick. They've got a lot of success at Daytona and in general. Yeah, you know, my strategy of throwing a dart at the wall and picking <laughs> could be really good. But check in with me about 6 a.m. Sunday morning and see how I'm feeling about my picks. And I might have a different, listen, it might 
all, everybody I picked, you can pretty much guarantee is not going to finish the race if if 2020 is any indication of my luck. <laughs> and your picks to round it out. Yeah, sure. Before I get into my picks, just a couple of her, uh, other um, names to quickly highlight. The uh, In the 97, it's a uh, traditionally been a wet car. Uh, TF Sport has run with the uh, Aston Martin. Ben Keating, again, is doing double duty. He's running in that car and one of the P2 cars as well. Um, also, former Ford GT uh, driver, uh, Westy, Richard Westbrook is in that. Uh, so that's kind of one to keep an eye on just to see how they do. The um, other Aston Martin had a lot of bad luck last year. So that's kind of a wild card in terms of the BOP for the series in terms of how they're going to run. So uh, could go very much their way. Big question mark. On the opposite side, it'd be my pick for the championship. I don't know about the Rolex, but yeah, I think Vassar Sullivan's going to win the GTD title this year just because they've just, they're consistently strong. And man, they've got some stacked lineups. That 14 car is just man, insanely good, but the 12 car is pretty darn good as well. Um, you know, all, according to all accounts, Beach tested really well. McGinnis is a, is a hot shoe in his own right, and Monte Calvo is pretty good as the amateur in that car. And I want to put quotes around the amateur on that one because he's a, definitely a super silver one yeah. car is a great pick the, the paul miller usually would be the 48 um, they seeded that number to the jimmy johnson entry uh, but the livery is pretty similar if not the same as last year so it's going to be familiar ah, it's, magnus moved over from uh running with lamborghini to pick up the uh, acura gtd nsx side of things but man i i the 88 and the 96 are sticking out the most to me. On the 88, the, the hardpoint Porsche, um, they've kind of teamed up with Earl Bamber Motorsports. They got Bamber in the car, uh, former, I think still current, um, uh, Porsche factory driver, former Porsche LM, or sorry, not LM, though he actually won the uh, the 24 Hours of Le Mans with the, uh, the P1 a couple of years back, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, has been running GTLM with them for a long time. But he moves over to the 88 uh, in partnership with Hardpoint. Uh, Rob Ferriol is a super nice dude. But you got Cat Leg there. You got Christina Nelson, who in their own right would have a shot at winning any race pairing in a car. But that 96, if the BOP is nice to them and they stay out of trouble, uh, they made the mistake of being P1 in the qualifying race. So hopefully they avoid the wrath of uh, the tech gods or the uh, BOP gods. But Winningest driver in the series, Bill Oberlin. Robbie Foley's heck of a driver. Not as familiar with uh, Aiden Reed, but you know he's uh, he's in that car for a reason. And you got Colton Herta. So I think that is the the team to really keep an eye on. I like it all. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is the official preview. We'll be back one more episode, one more IMSA episode tomorrow before the race. I'll be sitting down as part of the PLP partnership with my, uh, Meyer Shank racing talking with Olivier Pla. So I'm super excited about that. And then again, the race is this weekend, three forty Saturday afternoon. It bounces between NBC and NBC SN throughout the day and night. George, are you going to try to stay out for 24 hours? I'm going to do my best. Uh, yeah, actually, 
somewhat ironically, I'm going to miss the start. Um, I th- actually attending a wedding, <laughs> but uh, I uh, I have not seen my my brother and his wife since Thanksgiving, and they are stopping through Pennsylvania, and I am going to stand outside my parents' house with them to exchange Christmas gifts, and I <laughs> still don't know what time they're coming, so. I know they're probably not listening to this, but I would like time. So I know if I'm going to miss the first, listen, from the first half hour of the race, it's 23 and a half hours to go. It's not, it's not a big deal. And I'll provide live coverage in some way, shape or form as soon as I'm back on my computer. So George, thanks for joining. We'll call it right there and we'll be back tomorrow with another fun episode. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!